0: All right. Well, welcome to Pilot. Uh, This is the show where we review the first episodes of Famous Shows. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the show Moonlighting. And uh, we have our regular cast here. I'm Kevin. I'm Sarah. I'm Becca. And uh, like I said, we're going to be reviewing shows. Uh, We decided that for this very first episode, we wanted to start with something that was really famous uh, but also gave us an opportunity to really think about what it meant to have a pilot back in the 80s. And so we decided to do Moonlighting. Yeah. And, I mean, so before we get started, I think all of us saw this show when we were much younger. Uh-huh. Uh, what did it mean to you guys?
1: Yeah, I remember enjoying it a lot as a kid. Um, yeah, I think I only have one real recollection of actually watching it. I wonder if it was on a bit late for my bedtime. And it's also not a show that I've watched since, you know, but, um, yeah, I remember enjoying it a lot and having a crush on Bruce Willis as a child. (laughs)
2: I think the first time I watched it, it was already really popular and I'd heard people talking about it at school. I mean, I knew it was a a popular show, so I definitely didn't see the early episodes Mm. and I didn't watch every one or, or every season, but I remember it thinking that it was very funny and the chemistry between the two lead characters was, um very intense, and that it just was this, you know, witty, clever banter, crime-solving show.
0: For me, this was one of my favorite shows, and I think what I really liked about it, thinking back, was it was like Looney Tunes for adults. There was just a lot (laughs) of really slapstick humor and a lot of really fast-paced things, and I also remember thinking that there was this incredible screen tension between Mm -hmm. the two leads, and when we'll talk a little bit about this more later, but that sort of screen tension is both what germinated and made this show great, but it's also, I think, ultimately what caused a lot of it to its ultimate demise. So, like I said, we sat down, we watched the first episode, and the first episode uh, came out uh, on March 3rd, 1985, and it was a double episode. So, they actually aired it as two episodes, um, but it was filmed as a pilot. And so for those of you who might be just coming into this and uh, not familiar with the term, when people make television shows, usually they film a first episode that's almost designed to pitch the whole show to the executives. So essentially after the executives say, okay, we think this might work, go film one episode, bring it back, and then we'll make a call. And so this show was filmed as a pilot and then it aired. And I'd never seen the pilot before until today. Uh, which I think is going to be kind of common for most of the shows we watch because back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, if you didn't see it because it was the, f- the first night you happened to tune in, reruns were hard to catch. And so when it fil- when it showed initially, uh, the within the first season it took off really quickly and it was really popular. And to give you a, just a little bit of backstory on this show, essentially when they filmed it, Sybil Shepherd had been a star for many years. And so... Uh, she had been in uh, the last picture show in 1971 when she was 20, and this show is in 1985. She had been in many other big films.
1: So, at the beginning of the show, it kind of opens, and you see this after the opening. But then you see this like wall of pictures of her, and there was like a Rolling Stone cover and a lot of model shots. Do you think that those were actual shots, or do you think that they were because they did? She was young in some of those.
0: I, I mean, I, I can't say for sure, but my guess is that all those are actual historic shots of her from when she was modeling and, and in uh, all the different award shows and everything that she was in for the movie she did. Probably not on the cover of Rolling Stone, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, maybe we should uh, talk a little bit about the premise of the show as it, as it was originally pitched. Um, the person who was the showrunner, uh, Glenn uh, Gordon Caron. Uh, He was a former writer who had done Remington Steele and Fame, and he wanted to sort of write a romance show. And the producer said, that's great, but it needs to be about detectives. And so that sort of built the chemistry. And there's a lot of other backstory to this, but essentially the show was given pretty free reign to come up with how the concept was going to work. And it got really famous for doing things like breaking the fourth wall. So not in this episode, but throughout the show, a lot of time the characters will address the television screen. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that was a really new thing. This was also one of the very first shows that was called a dramedy. It was a mating of comedy and drama. And it actually was nominated for both Best Drama and Best Comedy through the Directors Guild, one year, to, kind of as an example of how popular it was in both sort of uh, media. Uh, so should we talk about a little bit about the plot of this episode?
2: Uh-huh. Well, the only thing we might want to oh, mention yeah. is you were talking about Sybil Shepherd being at the height of her career, but Bruce Willis was a real newcomer. I mean, we know him now from Die Hard and all these other movies, but this was before all of that, right? So he was an unknown, and wasn't there a story about, I mean, he might have been even not the first choice to play this role. It was before he was a real star.
0: I, I don't know about whether he was the first choice. I do know they went through about 2000 different people before before they chose him.
1: Yeah, I read on IMDb that he was the last the last audition tape. Oh, okay. So he might have been their first many, choice, many, but he was the last person. Yeah, the to last be seen. person to audition, yeah.
0: And and apparently Sybil Shepherd and uh and Glenn both had to sort of fight with the executives because they wanted him so badly. And the executives weren't sure he was the right person for it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, ironically, is a strange story because Bruce Willis also was about the 40th choice to be the lead of Die Hard. Really? And, yeah, they did that. He was, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger passed it up. A whole bunch of other people passed it up. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. But essentially, Bruce Willis's career had sort of started going at this point and then became ascendant through this. Um, where Sybil Shepherd certainly she had many roles after this, but she'd probably be best remembered for her roles up to this and including this, not those after. So one going up, one going down.
2: So the first thing that struck me when this episode started was how melancholy the theme song was. I don't know. I, I think of it still more as a comedy, even though you talked about it being a dramedy, and that very kind of mellow, jazzy, almost like lulling you to sleep, depressing theme song kind of struck me.
1: I think it's kind of romantic-sounding music.
2: (laughs) Maybe I'm just not a romantic. (laughs) To me, that sounds depressing and melancholy. But I was surprised that it didn't make me think about, you know, witty banter and clever and, you know, solving crimes. It definitely
1: was super mellow. So yeah. one
0: person's melancholy is another person's <laughs> romance is what you're saying here.
1: Okay, we're not judging. We're not judging. <laughs> right, right.
2: <laughs> well, and then you cut to the scene that you mentioned, Sarah, where you see all the the photos and the kind of model shots of, of the Maddie Hayes character, and then you see the real live Maddie Hayes.
0: Yeah. And one thing is, I, I think, for me, that... The 11-year-old me, I was sort of being confirmed that, yes, this is an attractive woman. Like, I, I wasn't sure it would hold up, but Sybil Shepard was rocking it in 1985. Um, and I, I think there's definitely aspects of the way that she's portrayed in this that I felt were pretty overtly sexist uh, in this opening scene. But I think, you know, is it possible maybe that that's a way of setting up a stereotype so that during the course of the show or the season we're seeing things change? Or what did, what did you guys think?
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think I think it was really just setting her up as a model and as someone that was used to a very luxurious lifestyle and everything. I mean, and yeah, and I hope... I don't necessarily remember how much depth there was to her character as it went on. I mean, in this I thought that there were a few scenes that were like, like, oh, you're a man, help me, kind mm-hmm. of thing, which... Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily sit very well these days. But when um, she literally
2: jumps out of a taxi cab into his arms because she's scared. Yeah.
1: Yes. Um, And even like, Oh, does anybody have a plan? You know, which, which comes a bit later. Right. But it's like, Oh, someone must have a plan, you know, rather than, but which I thought kind of didn't necessarily make sense that she'd obviously had a career of her own and with, you know, obviously had these business managers that, Oh, we're going to come to in a bit. But, um, yeah, for someone who'd obviously taken a lot of control in their life, I, I don't
2: yeah. know. And actually, now that I think about that, that wasn't actually the first scene. The first scene is the crime, yes. right. is the crime scene where we see this, uh, guy going out to jog with two wristwatches on his hand and then soon after we see this, uh, 80s mohawk guy who honestly kind of looked like Kaniki from Greece, su- suiting up. And
0: it, it turns out that's because it, it was Kaniki from Greece. That
2: was Kaniki from Greece? It
0: actually was, yeah. So, well, that's
2: why it reminded me uh, of If Kaniki
0: from, from Greece decided he needed to go to the 80s and get a yellow and black mohawk and uh, run barefoot. Yeah. Um,
1: barefoot
0: running. But, um, One of the things that is really kind of funny is that I think some aspects of this show were supposed to be funny because they wanted to make it a comedy. Some aspects of the show for me were funny because of sort of the, wow, it's the 80s. I remember that. And this is one of the parts where at at a point I think we all giggled because the punk runner throws on uh, his Walkman, (laughs) tape Walkman, and inserts a cassette into it. It's funny because you get the sense that he puts play and the music starts playing because we start hearing music and it's this horrible 80s synth pop sort of, you know, just keyboard playing and like, there's no punk rocker in the world that would ever listen to this music.
1: especially with this t-shirt saying Anarchy on the back. Right. Yeah, there was a
2: lot of 80s throwback technology, fashion, all that. I think that stood out to me throughout the whole episode, just the... Alarm clocks and people using pay phones, coin-operated pay
0: phones. Yes. Um, Any of you who are younger who might be listening to this, you can see they're in the pay phones and other phones. Sometimes their phones, they they go round and round. instead yes, of rotary right. dial. They're yes. rotary dial phones, which uh, even when in 1985 would have been pretty uncommon, uh, but we're still around. And uh, so, yeah, th- those things are telephones that go round and round. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we get, that's the first scene is basically there's a, a punk rocker who attacks a jogging guy with two watches, uh, or who well, v- verbally attacks him.
1: Well, I'm not sure. Well, anyway, they, they, they have a confrontation in a tunnel and right. then the guy with two watches runs off and then is running away from the jogger who on one hip has a Walkman on and the other has a gun. Right. And so the punk pulls the gun, but then the guy runs out into a road and gets hit by a car. And then the, the, the punk goes up and pre- pretends to help him, meanwhile stealing the wristwatch wrist watch from his wrist. But then the police come, and then before running away, he gives them his name, which seemed a bit odd. But yeah, this anyway. guy is yeah.
2: not really blending into the crowd. I mean, not only does he give his name, he has got a bleach blonde mm-hmm. mohawk and you know, just is not set up to be someone who's just going to fade into and the background. The, it seemed like if you were going to be an assassin or a thief yeah. and trying to... Do something in broad. Maybe it's the, you
1: know, you stand out so much that nobody notices. <laughs> <laughs> but they did show later on you saw people give double takes to him. It's, that's true. You know, that's
0: true. As we're moving forward, what you have is, is the punk rock guy now has a, has a watch that he's stolen from the other guy. And then we move to uh, the introduction of Maddie Hayes, which we just talked about, uh-huh. uh, where Maddie Hayes realizes she's dead broke. And among her, the few things she still has left is a failing detective agency. And then she goes to close down the detective agency to stop bleeding money out.
2: Yeah, her, her financial advisor said, you only owned these businesses because they were write-offs. And now that you don't have any income to write, yeah. up, write this off against, you have to go shut all these down. So yeah, she goes into fire. Everybody. She
1: also had a nail salon and a, um, a dirty bookstore. And, and a dog a- grooming place. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I, w- I wish we could have seen the scene where she went in to close those places down, too. Because, <laughs> right. you know, the sad dog groomers leaving and, and the porn store guy having to quit. and um, So then we get to basically the introduction of of David Addison, who's played by Bruce Willis. Uh, and uh, like I said, this is sort of Bruce Willis's big shot. This is how he got famous. Um, what did you guys think about the way Bruce... Willis, and the David Addison character was introduced.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was showing him... Well, he gave this monologue that was kind of a sports thing, which I didn't necessarily get all of. But, um, yeah, it came off as really cocky and, yeah, very full of himself. But throughout, I was actually struck by how much charisma Bruce Willis has. It didn't necessarily come across right in that first scene, but definitely... I mean, that character has a lot of, and he has a lot of charisma. I yeah,
2: think. he's bringing a lot of swagger to this role that was more or less believable or felt justified at certain times. And he also, though, had a sense of humor, which I think helps. Mm. But he's definitely coming across as, yes, the the cocky, arrogant, um, and slightly sexist guy. I mean, he meets this woman and he's trying to think where he's seen her and immediately goes to, you know, her being a playmate of the month some yeah. year and thinking that that's, you know an appropriate way to introduce himself.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's my first assumption a lot of the time with both men and women that that they were (laughs) centerfolds. At this point here, so basically, the door opens and Maddie comes to walk in and a trash pail uh, falls on Mr. Pesto, who is the assistant uh, throughout the entire series who answers the phones. And we get like the first joke that I can remember being very moonlighting style which was the pale falls on on Mr. Pesto, and she just stands there with this pail, and and David Addison says, you're looking kind of pale today. And I realized that that, that joke still is funny to me, even now. Uh, and that kind of witty humor is something that I think was a was hallmark of this show. I was reading online that most hour-long shows have a script that's 50 to 60 pages, and because there's so much dialogue in, a, in every Moonlighting episode, it was at least double that.
1: Yeah, and because there's also a lot of scenes where they talk over each other as well, which then also doubles the page length <laughs> right. of, the, of the script.
0: And that's a, that's another thing that's really a unique hallmark of the show, is the talking over each other. How often can you think of shows where they literally are going full speed in conversation, saying totally different things at the exact same time in a television mm-hmm. show? Um so, we get past the scene where where David is introduced, and then, essentially, he gets fired. That's the, that's the the result of this. And a good portion of the show that follows this is David trying to convince Maddie not to close down the detective agency.
1: Yeah, and basically, because he wants to have his own job back and to have, yeah, to, to get everything going again. And he said about, he had to give back the company cars, and he was like, oh, the two Porsches. <laughs> right. <laughs> And
2: he also says, oh, well, I was only losing money because we were supposed to lose money. If you want me to make money, I can make money. Right. The best there is. So then he ends up, in, as he's continuing to kind of stalk her to try and convince her to keep the agency open, he interrupts her on a date and is still trying to convince her to keep the business open. She's still saying no. But as they're leaving from this restaurant, then we meet punk rock guy again right. who's in the elevator.
1: And so we've seen a bit of the the... the... Before we before this scene, we, we also cut to um, to a German... Well, a birthday party of a little girl. And then we meet this old German-sounding grandfather guy talking to the punk on the phone. And the punk is like, Oh, they're following me. Um, I was going to give it to you tomorrow, but it's like, Oh, well, okay, I'll meet you in an hour. And then you see the punk being kind of chased by these two slightly odd-looking men who both actually looked familiar to me, but I couldn't quite place. Um... I think we can discuss about them in the in
0: the coming scene. In the yeah. coming
1: scene. But um but yeah, and so then the, the punk is then running through I don't know, like a shopping mall or a or a hotel kind of thing. And again, trying to hide and this six foot tall guy with this blonde mohawk doesn't really fit in. And and there and I thought there was a lot of tension amped up in a scene that then he gets into an elevator and being kind of chased by this other guy who also was in a in another glass-walled elevator and going up and up the building, and you knew that something bad was going to happen, but you didn't know when. I thought that was quite nicely done in terms of, yeah. you know, really getting the tension there. I
0: thought that was really good tension, but I also thought that that scene was one of these things where, like, in, in a lot of shows, they're like, we have this technology that really produces an interesting visual effect. Uh, glass-walled elevator, or whatever. <laughs> Let's use that in a scene. How do we do that? And... <laughs> And so I, I, I enjoyed the tension of it, but at the same time you're like, why didn't he just push the emergency stop and, or push the down or do anything like, uh, and so it was one of those things where you, you feel this tension and at the same time you're it like. It
1: can feel very realistic. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I think you're kind of trapped once you get in an elevator too. And yeah, I don't know. And then especially at the end when it did finally stop and then he was waiting, didn't know where the other guy was. And I don't know, I think that you have limited options when you do that yep. pass. But anyway, ultimately, then it's like you don't quite know what happens to him, and then he gets up to where um, Maddie and David are, are, are waiting, and then he takes the watch off his wrist and, and basically forces it onto... He spits it out of his mouth. Oh, that's right, So yes. I think basically
2: yeah. you you realize that he, he spits this watch out of his mouth, is trying to put it on Maddie's wrist, she has no idea what's going on. And he's, and then like he's acting slums, kind
1: of weird. He's acting yeah. kind of
2: weird. And then he slumps over dead. He's got a knife in his back. So obviously the other guy, confronting him, stabbed him, but couldn't get, couldn't find the watch or get the watch out oh, of it because yes. he had it in his mouth.
1: Yes, yeah. And Maddie, I think, faints. And um, and Bruce Willis just looks a bit amused, which I thought yeah. was an odd response to it. So now boy. this
2: case lands on their lap that they can now try and solve together, or you know, David suggests they solve together as a way of. Proving that they should keep this detective yep. agency open.
1: Well, they kind of get forced to do it because then they both get taken to the police station, and um, and yeah, Bruce Willis immediately makes friends with the police by using his one phone call to order a pizza, and um, but um, yeah, and they come out so they're kind of yeah forced into it as much as anything, and also by the by the next scene at her house.
0: Yeah, and so <clears throat> basically, as as this plot's. Pers- moving forward, we're seeing that sort of almost David and everything else in the show is trying to force Maddie to be a private detective. Uh, and, uh, there are many scenes that kind of come in quick succession that involve what happens after the stabbing where there's television interviews and the cops are being, and everything is sort of like, well, of course you need to solve this crime. Um, which to me seems kind of strange that, you know, that here's this person who's really famous for being a model and they're like, well, someone's been killed instead of the cops solving this crime. Why don't we have the model do it?
1: But I think it's not really everybody. And I think it's Bruce Willis that called the, the, um, the TV cameras and stuff because he wanted to basically force her into reopening the de- de- the detective agency. Yeah. So I-, I think it's more him that, and I think he doesn't actually want her to be a detective, he just wants her to bankroll it all. Right. And so I think he's trying to force her hand more into that rather than necessarily working cases with him.
2: And he's trying to, as we find out later, I mean, he's actually hanging on to some of the evidence to try and keep himself central to solving this crime yeah. versus yeah. just turning it over to the police and letting them take it.
0: And now right around the point where they're getting out of the police interviews the first time that Maddie Hayes does her little signature growl. Where she's just so frustrated. <laughs> she's mm-hmm. And I remember that from the whole series and just thinking that that was so hilarious. That was
2: a repeated thing.
0: That oh, like, it happened a lot. Amazing. She, Whenever she got really frustrated, she would kind of growl. And um, yeah, it's funny what you think is really cool when you're 10. But it, I still thought it was cute. Um, and I don't want to dwell on every point of the of the plot as we go through this cuz it it was an, an almost 2 hour long mm-hmm. uh, premiere. But let's let's just sort of fast forward ahead as we're going they are
1: But we have to discuss the the scene that happens next when they go back to the house.
0: Oh yeah, no, I was going to get to that. Okay. Uh, so the only reason why is because of the nipple shirt. <laughs> yes. The, that's what we need to talk about. <laughs> like
2: Let's talk about the giant hot dog on the gas electric burn we'll get to that we'll get to the hot <laughs> we'll get
0: to the burning hot dog but so first what exactly
1: are we gonna skip because those were the, that was the next scene
0: okay we're not <laughs> skipping anything because we have to get to the nipple shirt so they go they go back to maddie's house and they're there and suddenly some bad guys are there and it turns out it's the bad guys who are trying to get the punk rock dude to give them the watch
1: and so these guys, you basically have one guy that's very tall, looks like kind of like a bodybuilder type, a, a bit sort of Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's like he had some work done, S- maybe
2: some lip implants. Or yeah,
1: odd yeah. face, but he did look familiar. I'm sure I've seen him in other things. And then also a little creepy old guy with glasses and a and a mouse like grumpy cat. It's sort of the classic,
2: yeah. the brains and the brawn.
1: Yeah, like, right. And,
0: and 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 the the, the the these are like right out of James Bond villains <laughs> and. But the funniest part about this is, is that this is a very intimidating scene. Uh, our two lead characters are uh, under threat of gun, and several things happen in succession that are very entertaining. The first one is, is the henchman takes off his overcoat, and he has like a nice button-up shirt on that's sort of a baby blue, and it is totally see-through. <laughs> and I just... I know that he could totally kick my ass, but on the other hand, I, if I was in that situation, I would just lose it. I would just be <laughs> laughing. <laughs> uh, yeah, then
2: next, as they're tied up in these chairs, and... Oh, you, they, you
0: missed the part with Matt, with the fighting before yes. they're tied up in the chairs. So they, through reasons that are kind of complicated, Maddie ends up with a gun. Bruce Willis has, like, a fire poker. Bruce Willis can't hit anything with the fire poker, and Maddie has a gun, and she's. She uh, can't get anything she, with a gun. <laughs> she 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 shoots six shots without hitting anything. I mean, this is like Dirty Harry. Well, she so. hits
1: all of her own memorabilia, yeah. and, and I think Bruce Willis even says, "Oh, you missed the barn." <laughs> right. Right.
0: So then they end up tied up, and then comes the sausage.
1: Well, the first thing I would say is
2: they, you know, they're in this kitchen and they turn on the burner it's one of those coil electric burners which instantly becomes red hot which if you've ever used one of those stoves no, it takes they, a long they turned time to it on.
1: even they turned it on at the beginning i know when and it still
2: yeah, they turned it on and it still instantly became red hot about two seconds after they turned it on okay uh which was surprising to me knowing how long this take <laughs> then he's threatening them obviously he wants to use this you know the hot stove in some way and all of a sudden he's holding this like huge fat hot dog in mean, It looked like the size of a hot dog just about three times as fat. And then he starts putting it down on the coil electric burner to let it sizzle and steam, which I'm sure was supposed to terrify them and maybe I'd be terrified if I thought I was going to get put on the electric burner, but...
1: Yeah, I mean that hot dog just looked hilarious. I thought it was an interesting intimidation technique because it was kind of like—did like, oh, he bring the hot dog? Did he have that hot dog with him? Did he...
2: she have that hot dog in the fridge? How did no. he know he was going to find the hot dog? And with can him? You, did do he you, know where to find the tongs? Do,
0: do you know the production crew <laughs> showed up with hot dogs and someone was like, "That is not big enough. Go and get me the fattest hot dog you could ever find because it needs to be bigger on the screen."
2: It Just seemed very elaborate, like or, or is it the like situation and actually like have the hot dog, or is it like the say, hot?
0: hot dog adds 10 pounds when it's on the camera maybe awesome. maybe,
1: but he only very like slightly hinted like oh and this could be your face I mean it was very subtle threats yeah they didn't, didn't even show th- the burnt hot dog they showed no. the
2: steam but they didn't you know he's like this is what imagine we'll do to human flesh but I'm like we didn't even see what it did to the hot dog flesh no
0: it's probably because they couldn't afford a real stove so you know they couldn't
1: yeah, actually sear it, it. <laughs> um
0: okay so I just I'm sorry I had to get to that because
1: oh yeah no we had to discuss that soon. um
0: and I think also one of the things I noticed through a lot of this, up to this point, I thought Sybil Shepherd's acting actually was almost as if she was reading lines. And this was the first scene where I thought she was really very sincere about her acting. It felt, it felt really, like she looked really freaked out. She did. They. She did a great job of basically cracking. I mean, like they took the watch that the cops had. The watch the cops have a watch, mm-hmm. and and I thought this. It, it was actually the first time when I saw her. Where I was like, yeah, that looks really. That was actually really believable. I, I think, as I said before. The Bruce Willis character is never really supposed to be believable. He's always supposed to be kind of like a cartoon character, yeah,
1: wisecracking, and, um,
0: and and as a foil, I think this is the first time where I felt like, okay, you're really being earnest.
1: But I think in the same vein, I think that he's meant to be this, you know, this wisecracking. But I think she's also meant to be quite. I mean, yeah, and it's well, it came up that he called her cold twice, and yeah. then there was a scene in turn, and she's like, oh, do you really think I'm cold? But I always felt that that was kind of part of her as well, that she has this aloofness. Actually, he calls her a cold bitch, and I didn't think you could
2: say that on TV in 1985. I don't know why, that just surprised me. I thought it was more recent that you could use those kind of swear words... Yeah. on primetime TV because
1: not only then he calls her a cold bitch and then later when they're at the house she says oh I had a bad day and you called me a bitch I yeah. was called a bitch so I mean it's not said even just once I don't know twice maybe I'm that. wrong but I I'm sure I it was know. trying
0: to be racy I there thought like, that
1: I wasn't sure you could say maybe it that was bleeped down. out maybe that's yeah. why it was after nine, on after 9pm right. yeah. <laughs> after your bedtime right
0: yeah so I, I again I thought it was definitely that was a great scene of like that moving forward of her character and her acting and you know, I have to say, up to this point, I was actually a little disappointed looking back and saying, wow, you know, Sybil Shepherd's character in a lot of ways, up, uh, literally up to this point, is kind of so one-dimensional in a way that I don't really want to know her very well. Mm-hmm. And, but after this, the rest of the episode, is like, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. This is interesting. Um, like you were saying later, she confronts him about him calling her cold. And, and I thought that was actually really cool. Also, I just didn't
2: believe that at all, though. I'm like, after all this, she's so, you know, in his face, refusing everything, and then all of a sudden just has this moment of total vulnerability and wants to know his opinion and is this... I don't know. I, I didn't buy that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think you're probably right. My, my guess is in this case, what what I felt about this pilot was it really was a pilot designed... More for the executives. Yeah, to set than, up
1: the characters. Yeah, yeah like, here's,
0: what, here's the different issues that we're going to play with in this show.
1: Because she was never very likable, I think, throughout. I mean, and even, I, I do vaguely remember that they did an episode that was a, a spin of um, The Taming of the Shrew.
0: Yeah. And she mm. was
1: the, the shrew, you know, and I think that's kind of what the character was almost meant to be.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree. I I think, like I said, I think she was supposed to be the foil, but in, in the same way, like, I think in this episode up until this point, I was like, I just don't care about you. Uh And then after this point, I was like, you know, I actually care about you. And, and I think part of it was that she softened up a bit, but also part of it was, I think she, the lines or the writing got much better in terms of the dialogue that she was given. So it stopped being like, Oh, poor me. I've lost all my money. And it started being, you know, like right after this, basically they have a scene where, where she says like, you can't hit. She tells Bruce Willis, he can't hit. You're a sissy fighter. And he gets kind of offended. And then she decks him and, and he's like, yeah, okay. So you know how to hit. I don't. Um, and I thought that was a really good sort of twist. And, and like she played off like, yeah, I know what I'm doing here. Um,
1: but then wasn't it almost? It was very soon after that. It was like, oh, somebody needs to have a plan.
0: Yeah.
1: And, yeah, and really, I don't know. Uh, yeah, which kind of surprised me that she didn't have more sort of power and nouse about, you know, getting things going and and what to do. She was just like expected other people and expected a man to take care of things. Yeah,
2: she's given a loud voice and a lot of anger, but not a lot of command of the situation right yeah. and she still is expecting him to solve things or the police to solve things or someone else to figure it out someone else to save her she's just yeah. opinionated and angry about all of it but, but you don't you don't see her being taking, clever or trying to solve things or right. trying to take control of the situation exactly
1: but what that scene also establishes to to get back to the plot is that the Bruce Willis had actually taken the watch from the police station. Which is also then what then ties them together because now they have to solve the crime rather than leaving it in the hands of the police. Right,
0: right. and so there's many sort of fighting, bickering about whether or not they should do this together. And simple shepherd or uh, Maddie is is saying, "I don't want to do this." And then uh, she ends up coming into the now closed. Uh, detective agency and finding everyone is back there all all the staff they're so thankful that she's there and walks in and finds that David has basically solved the great mystery of the watch they uh, at one point took it to a pawn shop who took it apart and found some numbers on the inside Uh, no one knew what the numbers were and David in a fit of uh, genius discovered that the numbers were uh, coordinates, latitude and longitude.
1: Because the, the owner of the watch was an amateur pilot, and his father was a Second World War pilot who, um, who had got the watch from a Nazi who, who said that... Um, oh no, the Nazi had given the pilot, the grandfather, diamonds. Right. Yeah, but, this is where it just cracked me up. And
2: of course the bad guy is... A Nazi. Nazi. (laughs) Like, let's go back to what (laughs) the archetypal villain of anything is, is a Nazi. And yeah, this Nazi sees the war is coming to an end, sees his his prospects aren't good, and basically tells, for some reason, I don't know why he thinks an American pilot is going to help him, but is like, oh, here's where I'm hiding $4 million worth of diamonds, and I'll come get it from you after the war. Like, (laughs) why why he thinks this American pilot is going to hook him up after the war is another whole... Mm -hmm mystery to me.
1: And so then what I didn't understand. So we get that the Nazi who was the German grandfather that he, you know, then he was the Nazi and then he wants the watch. But then and the punk, but then this other the couple, so the guy in the see through shirt and the guy in the glasses. I the never quite they never really explained somehow they must yeah, have just they, gotten they... wind
2: of this and they wanted the diamonds for themselves, but they never really explained no. how they would have found no. out about it, how they're connected. Yeah.
0: yeah, but they they want in on the diamonds. And and so as as Basically, they figure out that the watch gives coordinates that's in Los Angeles. Which is co- very convenient. And it turns out there's a building with a giant clock on the side that looks surprisingly like the watch.
1: And is this, do, I mean, you guys, well, you live there. Is that, do you know is that <laughs> building? Is I didn't building? recognize it, but it,
2: it could be. I mean, there's a lot of kind of Art Deco type buildings.
0: Yeah. Uh, like an that, Art Deco clock towery building. And then, and
2: the guy was a clockmaker, right? He was a clockmaker, so yeah. it's a clock on the,
0: so, the building. So, um, we end up the sort of the 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 clim the climactic scene is uh, that Maddie and Dave go to climb the face of this building to look for the diamonds that are hidden somewhere on this, and there, there's actually a really good scene where. Basically, they're dialoguing while David is trying to climb up the side of this wall. And he's saying all kinds of vaguely sexist things and keeps falling off. Uh, and then oh, she
1: vaguely sexist. He's talking about how men are more evolved than women. Yes, and because they came first. Because they came they first. Got a good yeah, the minutes 15 minutes.
0: Of uh And I, th- I think that uh, at that point, you know, basically he, he, fall, he, falls, he falls off while wearing her business pumps and a pencil skirt, Maddie just zings right up there. Now, I should point out that when I say Maddie just zings right up there, I mean, probably a very muscular woman or man in with shaved legs donned the same outfit and a horrible blonde wig <laughs> and climbed up this face um, because... Either that, or she really hit some steroids for like a, <laughs> a week or two before this filmed. Um, it was is really obviously fake, but you,
1: and obviously a man. I think.
0: I, I think it was a man. <laughs> I, I'm not. I don't want to make that. It might have been a stunt woman. Either way, I I do have to say that this is the era before CGI, and <laughs> there were that scene there uh, up on this side of this building was obviously a stunt person. But there were a lot of scenes with people hanging off the side of ladders and buildings that was face shots of the lead actors. And they were probably, I'm not positive, but looked a lot like there was no blue screen. They were actually on a ladder on the side of a building.
1: Yeah, I mean, you saw traffic go underneath and it didn't, I mean, it looked pretty real. And there was that scene and it's like, Bruce was holding onto that ladder really tightly. (laughs) And and I think that that was more than just acting. He was really (laughs) really holding on hard.
0: yeah. Um, so, so long story short, they get the diamond, the old Nazi guy shows up, uh,
1: but I think, should we talk about the ladder?
0: Well, because
1: there's this whole scene. So, so there's this whole thing as Kevin just said about that, that, you know, that he tries to climb up and then she climbs up and then she's hanging on to the, um, to the hand of this clock. She's about
0: to fall off the hand.
1: And then at this point, Bruce Willis goes to get a ladder.
0: And comes back, and the ladder like, works why great.
2: Why didn't they get yeah. did the he ladder, ladder <laughs> in the first place?
1: If, <laughs> yeah. if he knew right where the
2: ladder was, tells her, "Hang on," runs and gets it. It's not very far away. It probably could have just used a ladder
1: instead of but, scaling the building. Now I'm not um, an
0: expert, but I think what we we do is we call that dramatic license.
1: Yeah. <laughs> maybe. But then, of course, she's on the top of the ladder, and the ladder goes over the edge of the building. And so then we have several scenes of, of her hanging off the ladder, and then he's hanging off the ladder, and then the then ladder. The Nazis on the ladder, and the, Nazis the... And, the, and the ladder bends, and it bends ninety degrees without breaking. Yeah. Yes. Yes, the yeah. ladder is definitely defying. They're
2: bending the the rules so, of physics. So the ladder.
0: crescendo to this is the ladder almost breaks. They're hanging off the side. Well, David and the Nazi are hanging off the side. David's hanging on the ladder with one hand. He's hanging, holding a bag of four million dollars worth of diamonds in his other hand. Old Nazi guy is hanging onto the same bag, and that's all that's keeping him off of what a four-story fall or something. But
1: more than that, I think.
0: And. Then it happens. The best part for the whole thing in this whole thing for me is as the old Nazi is hanging on a bag of diamonds, he says aloud, can't hold on much longer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ah! Meanwhile,
1: little diamonds are coming loose from the bag ah, and like hanging off those... his forehead.
0: Yeah. yeah. But and I think...
1: Well, I was also struck, it's like in this, and it's like, oh, um, something about, oh, they've been hidden for 40 years. And I think now, of course, it's, you know, but okay, I can't do that much right now. But anyway, but it's like, the, the war then, I mean, it was obviously so much, 40 years isn't actually that long. I mean, that that, that the guy was a useful grandfather. Right. You know, he had served right. in the war. Yeah, Grandpa think, Nazi
0: was like only like 65. Yeah, right.
1: and so to put it into that, yeah, I think it's interesting that the war was still that, Close. i mean it's hard for us to imagine that now that so many yeah you know yeah. a lot of veterans were still alive yeah
0: so so that is the the height of the excitement in this episode and then from there the next scene is we find out that that Maddie Hayes has started a detective agency uh, or so it's well, been no, reported it's no it's been reported in the news oh, that yeah. you know former models detective Terms agency detective. <laughs> Uh, solves diamond heists and then the question is whether or not they're going to go into business
1: so he's at her house and he's trying to convince her and it's like oh will you you know you gotta let me know will you tell me and then she's like oh I'll let you know tomorrow and then he's pushing it oh so this time tomorrow and she's like oh all right then this time tomorrow and they open the door to a flood of reporters and he's like oh don't have a don't have a story for you yet this time tomorrow we'll let you know
0: alright and so that's how it ends um, uh, I forget, It's a, a little over an hour after you remove all the commercials. Um, it's available on YouTube, so um, you can watch that episode at least right now. It's totally available to stream. And uh, so let's go into sort of some questions that we we're going to ask more or less every time for, for these episodes. First one, love it, like it, hate it, or bored to death?
2: I I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. It was entertaining. It's a you know somewhat interesting premise of these two unlikely people being thrown together. Um, Yeah, I think
1: I'd give it a like. I I'll give it a like as well. I think I'd have liked a bit more depth in both of the characters. I mean, I mean, yeah, they were both attractive people. Bruce Willis with a full head of hair. Sort well, well, of okay. To... Beginning to thin, but mostly more hair, definitely. <laughs> well, and chest hair too, yeah. which, which you don't see a lot these days. But um, um, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I, I liked it, and I, I got emotionally involved, which yeah. is not hard for me. But
0: I definitely liked it. I think that when I watched it, I was ready to love it because I remember so fondly loving the series yeah. and thinking. I, I actually think they crammed so much into... Even though this was, like, a two-hour episode, basically. I think they crammed so much into it that they... You know, so many different things. How to get the series set up, the character introduction, the plot, that I didn't have enough time to really connect with the characters. But
1: they gave him no backstory at all. None. No, They, they yeah. said they said things that he hadn't done. Like, right. he right. hadn't been in Vietnam, he hadn't been, you know, a detective. At Yale or... Right, or right. Yale or Harvard. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, but we didn't find out anything about his backstory.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So now, if you were a network executive, would you have picked this up?
1: I think there was chemistry between the characters, and I, I think there was that, and I think that there was enough going on that, yeah, I think it would have been because having the 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 detective thing and having the romance, I think that was, uh, yeah, I think that would be enough to hook a series on.
2: Yeah, and it was unique. As you mentioned, it was the first mm. kind of drama comedy, so that could have been intriguing. Oh, well, maybe risky, too, but it yeah. could have been intriguing. And I
0: definitely got a sense of that right from this episode. I think there were certain things that probably developed a lot throughout the series, but that was not one of them. Like, this was definitely a drama with death and serious emotions.
2: And Nazis. And Nazis,
0: <laughs> although I don't Former recall... Former Nazis. Former yeah, uh, but then also the comedy was getting established. And I think in both cases, like the you get a sense of, of how that plays out for the, the tone of that throughout the series is constant. Yeah. Um, I, I think the comedy got deeper as the series goes on, in part because there's so many it's so well set up that so many of the jokes can be played out over and over again. Yeah. Uh, like Miss Depesto. Uh, the, the receptionist character who always answers the phone in rhymes and does a lot of other very quirky things. As the series progresses, it fits to have her do quirkier and quirkier things because we already know who she is. Yeah. So would you have watched the series based on this pilot? It's kind of similar to the last question. If, if, as, as a viewer and you saw this, would you think, oh, I watched another one.
2: As as a viewer now, or as a viewer at the age I was
0: when
1: this came no, out? No, I think even a viewer now yeah. now.
0: yeah, I mean, to to people who might consider uh, watching the show.
1: I think I would, because I think Bruce Willis, I think there's enough charisma there. I think there's enough fun in both his role and in the show as a whole. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, it's like I'm quite tempted to, to look up more episodes on YouTubes. So I, yeah. I might watch more even, you know, now, now. I'd probably let it go and
2: wait for some reviews down the line. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of shows like that, though, where I saw the first episode now, just in the last few years, where the characters seem so forced and the banter seems so forced that it's a little yeah. annoying. Mm-hmm. But then once it settles in, they end up in a good pattern. So,
1: But did you find this forced? Yeah, I did. Right.
2: Just because they were, it was, you know, I'm the cocky, arrogant, funny detective, and...
1: Mm-hmm. I'm the outraged
2: model! <laughs> right. So... I don't know if I would have been clamoring to see the next episode right away.
0: I, I mean, I, I tend to... I, I think, like, the the comedic f- power of Bruce Willis in this was so much for me. Even watching this, I'm like, yeah, give me more of that. Give me more of that. Mm. But I tend to agree with you that there was a lot of feeling of force. But I think as, as we continue this podcast series, that's, I think one thing we're going to see over and over again, because I've watched a bunch of other first episodes... They just try and cram so much in, and you don't have the sense of who these people are and why they would ever do these outrageous things. And television's not about rational people acting rationally, it's about extreme people acting extremely.
2: And they're trying to establish the characters and all that, I get that. Yeah. So I think maybe, you know, maybe I would give it a shot, or more likely, I'd wait for a few episodes and right. see how the reviews came in. All
0: right, now, how well has this show aged? It's 1985 when it comes out. Uh, we're looking back with a 25-plus year uh, window, right? right? How well has this show aged?
1: Yeah, I mean, the fashions, for sure. And, um, yeah, those were very 80s. But the actual nature of the show, I mean, I think it's like, would it be made today? Is it, I guess is another way of... Yeah. About I that. think
2: the premise still holds up, and yeah, me too. there, the costumes, the technology, all that absolutely feels dated and it feels dated watching it. But in terms of the pacing, the premise,
1: even yeah, yeah the, it, the concept of it, I think is still, I think yeah, I think is still good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. I think like there's, there's a if if you want to watch this, there are a lot of opportunities to laugh at really. Bad fashion. And I think one of the funny things is is that when we think 80s, we think neon, pink, whatever. But I don't think that's really what the 80s was for the most part. No,
1: it was nipple shirts.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of nipple shirts. Uh, there are strange... Uh, oversized
2: blazers and jackets. Oversized blazers in. and
0: jackets. Lots of lots, lots of shoulder pads. Yeah. Um, and you'll have plenty of opportunity for that in this. But... And, and I also would say, I think that if they were to make this now, the political correctness of what we face in our society now, even I think the the concept of this show is you have someone who's coming from the outside of detecting, uh, which is the Maddie character, and who is supposed to be presented as sort of spoiled and then we have this guy from the streets, you know, he knows everything, he's calm completely, and to have that set into a male and female gender stereotype I think would be a really tough sell now to the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that even even as the show progresses, it's it's about both of the characters over time expressing more depth and range and getting a sense of who they are. If this were a pilot now, I think that the that those stereotypes would be. Something people would balk at a lot, at least that's my feeling
1: well, I think it I think that there would be a lot more set up now to show how she's a strong woman in her own right rather than the the help me help me kind of I, yeah aspect of it
0: and and i so I think that that part has not aged well, mm-hmm. but I also think that's a part that diminishes considerably as the series goes on, at least as I recall from being a kid that you know I think that it, it ceases to be she is a person who looks to David for help as much as it becomes a conflict about the way they choose to do detecting.
1: Um, yeah, in which cases they take. Yeah, right. that's... Yeah.
0: Um, and so I thought that that part didn't age particularly well uh, for the pilot. and uh, But the general concept, I think, would, would actually go over really well still. Like, you know, private detecting is something that's fun... Um, and the way there's that
2: so many crime shows still on yeah. now right. it seems like every time we turn then, around there's another
1: one but there's endless spins that you can do on mm-hmm. it I think yeah. and especially a private detective even more than a cop
0: well and I think one thing that it's not covered at all in this episode but in future episodes it's, I think was most groundbreaking about the show is that it totally didn't take itself too seriously mm. um, one of the things that I remember keenly was so they they would write these scripts and film it But it was really hard because they were talking so fast that the scripts would get used up. And so a lot of the time with episodes, they would basically finish the episode and be three or four minutes short. And there's no way they could edit it to run longer. So they would have people come out and do song and dance. Like they'd have people in the cast dancing or singing or introducing something or whatever. Just because they literally needed to fill time. And they had... Um, as, as Sarah was saying, there was this episode called Atomic Shakespeare, where they basically did a, a, a farce of the taming of the shrew. And they did a whole bunch of other episodes where they just...
2: I remember there was a kind of theme episode
0: yeah. where they would... Mm. And they would just depart from reality. And, and that's really something that I think No Show has done really well uh, in the before this and very few have done after and I think that is something that would, would carry really well now
1: yeah and the sense of yeah I mean and really uh, I guess a part of that is just that sense of fun that, um, that there was
0: yeah alright so as we said at the beginning this is sort of the place where Sybil Shepard who's been a major star uh, nominated for Golden Globes and Academy Awards uh, this is what I think she's remembered best for uh, at least outside of the 70s. And this is one of the first things that Bruce Willis really hit with. And do you think from watching this that Bruce Willis came across as the guy who became Mr. Die Hard? all these other movies, became this, I mean, incredibly wealthy, famous star?
1: Well, I did see a lot of John McClane in, in David um, Addison. And, yeah, I mean, as I said, I think that there was a lot of charisma. And, yeah... I could, I could see that. And so she was in a sitcom called Sybil after this, which I think, I mean, yeah, which I remember watching. But, yeah, I don't know about anything since.
2: Yeah, he had definite charisma and star power. I wouldn't have thought of him as action hero, but as clever, kind of comedic male lead. Yeah, I think that came across.
0: I mean, for, for me, like, it's, it's easy when you look back and you're like, well, but he became really yeah, famous, you know? And, and I just look at it like he basically owned any scene in which his mouth was open and words were coming out <laughs> in this entire episode. Yeah. It's not as if they gave him those lines and that was the lines that did it. It is so much of his acting. And in fact, one of the things that I noticed was even in places where he wasn't talking, Like, he did some very convincing, posturing facial expressions. Like, I think he was taking it really seriously. And one of the things... I think he
1: is actually, you know, he is a good actor. And especially in some of the films he's been in subsequently. I mean, he's not just an action hero. You know, like, I know, Looper, 12 Monkeys. I think he actually can
0: act, you know. Yeah, I mean, Sixth Sense was, right. was like, a, an amazing performance of his. And I and certainly I don't mean to discredit Sybil Shepard. She did an amazing job given, I think, what this role was, and so many of the things that she's done have been amazing. Um, it just sort of, like, it's an interesting place where they're sort of passing as their careers are going in divergent directions with yes. respect to film. Um, now, the last thing I want to ask you guys is... is so we all have seen this when we were much younger, and, you know, uh, for most of us, preteen. Uh, what is it, what you remembered?
2: I just, I remembered the banter between the two of them, and them fighting, but having this underlying attraction, and that definitely seems to play out. I didn't remember any of the particulars of how the agency was formed and how it got its name and all of that. But in terms of the dynamic between the two of them, yeah, that was it was pretty true to what I would have remembered.
0: I, I loved how, basically, the the detective agency at the beginning of the show had a different name, and then changed to become the Blue Moon Detective Agency. And I never knew where that came from. I thought that was just kind of clever, and it turns out it came from a shampoo commercial. But
1: she was famous for <laughs> Yeah, she right? was famous for a shampoo commercial.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, so... What about you, Sarah? Yeah,
1: I think it was, and I, uh, yeah, I remember, yeah, I think I remember the fun in it and yeah, the other banter between them, um, and yeah, and that, I think, yeah, I guess that in that essence of it is is what I remember. I don't think I ever saw the pilots either, you know, I probably came in halfway and maybe even left partway through. I don't remember, you know if I saw it all the way through to the end, but yeah, the the fun, the sense of fun, and yeah, the humor that wasn't too over the top, but just, yeah, clever in places.
0: Yeah. I I'd I say I, I really am right on the same page with you guys. And I think one of the things that I remember the most was how fast the dialogue was and how much sort of just, it seemed like riffing they were doing, like just constantly bantering and con- like little funny jokes put into the conversation. And that was all in this. Um, and, and, and I think that it really was a lot of what I expected there. The definitely, it wasn't as the characters are not as well formed as I remember them being Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and I don't fault them. It was a pilot,
1: but yeah, that's impossible for them to have been as well formed in a pilot. Right.
0: Um, and the mood of the show basically fit, uh, except for the weird fantasy episodes, it basically fit what I remember of when the show was at its peak before it started kind of going down the drain in the last season or so.
1: Mm.
0: Um, and I, I mean, I think that's one of the things that I, we're not doing like last episode, we're doing pilot, but, uh, in the, as I think about how many shows have ended, it seems like so much of the time, the quality degrades. And this was a great case of, there was a beginning and there was a high point and then things went downhill um, as, as it got to the end. Okay. Um, and in particular, from what most people say is that what happened is the relationship between the two stars became really challenging. And um, I think that it's funny because in the beginning... As I said, Sybil Shepherd kind of fought to get Bruce Willis into this. Like, she had to kind of step up to the plate. And so, obviously, they had some sort of belief and chemistry that this was what was going to work. Mm. And then, over time, that's actually what kind of ruined it.
1: Yeah. Shame.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, so it ran for three seasons,
0: was it? I think it ran for four. Um, yeah, a total of 66 episodes, and ran from uh, 1985 to 1989.
1: All right. So, um, any parting thoughts on this? No, I think we've covered everything
0: I, I could think of. Yeah, I mean, we pretty much killed it. Um, <laughs> I Long and short, uh, for Pilot, I'd say... Uh, Definitely all of us liked it. None of us thought it was the best thing we'd ever seen, but it definitely was good.
2: If you're a Bruce Willis fan, if you're a Moonlighting fan, it's worth going back to watch the pilot.